0: Now, just to, you know, who knows what the right decisions are on things like this, I mean, that's why we pray and uh, keep the minister up in prayer every day, but just to give you a few of our thoughts, you know, we don't really, in terms of not having church w- in the snow, we don't have the same standard as a school. I mean, a school cancels because kids are walking in the street instead of the sidewalk because sidewalks haven't been plowed out, and um, school buses sometimes have a more difficult time, but neither uh, do we have the same standard as, say, I don't know, emergency transit or hospital workers, you know, even in a blizzard, you know, get through the snow to come, you know, to church uh, type of deal. That would be foolhardy, but it's sort of something in between. You know, we do think something powerful Happens when the word of God is declared. I think that some perseverance. I think the Bible, when it when you add up everything it says about the importance of getting together with the people of hard people of uh, of God. I think that some perseverance and some New England old fashioned New England hardiness is appropriate. Uh, but at the same time, we don't want anyone. To take risks they 're uncomfortable with isn 't it great the grace of God you know coming to 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 church it 's not a law it 's a response it 's what christianity is it 's a response to what the Lord has done f- for us we want to be with the people of God we want to hear from him and so uh Pray for us that we be making the right decisions. I think we made the right one today. So uh, anyway, so I haven't listened to uh, to Pastor Scott's sermon from last week. I think it will. Pastor Scott, where are you? Did you get into like a New Year's resolution thing? You're not corny enough to do something like that. You know, New England, new, new, uh, new Year's resolutions, They, I suppose they can be a worldly kind of thing. I mean, after all, if you're in Christ every day, should be a new should be a new year in a way. You should be able to, if so, the Lord's telling you to resolve to do something, you should do it, right? It's like Christmas and Thanksgiving. But I still like the opportunity to sort of corporately think, well, what can we do As a people of God, uh, to resolve, we're being transformed into His image, we're being used by Him. Does the Lord want me to resolve to be something this year? I want to challenge all of you uh, this year. God wants to do something in your life this year. He wants to do something in the life of the church. To be people, men and women of prayer, more so. You know, about 16, 17 months ago, about a year and a half, I really began getting convicted on this, and I picked up Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, and uh, it's about a monk, I think in the 17th century, who, uh, not that I am in any way advocating the life of, of a monk, actually these were these, these were like working monks. Maybe they were, I'm not sure if he was a Franciscan or not, but I really think he got it right. He, it's a series of letters about him or by him or to him in which he tells about his journey to become a man who doesn't stop praying. He just prays all day. And you, you know, the first reaction to that is, well, that's just for freaks. I mean, That's ridiculous except for the fact that it is what the bible says that we are supposed to become Ephesians chapter 6 pray always 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 always pray Jesus gave the uh, sermon about uh, or the parable about the widow the persistent widow and he and he him he he says he gave that to teach them to always pray and never give up Romans uh, chapter 12 verse, uh, verse 12 says continue steadfastly and, or, or earnestly in prayer. Now the King James, Romans 12 verse 12 says be instant in prayer. And I love that. Be instant in prayer. What does that mean? Well how often during the day do you just like get frustrated over something or does and and in your frustration you're just grinding and hand-wrenching about this frustration or an anxiety and you're basically meditating on your anxiety what you're anxious about or a fear or a worry or something that you're thankful for be instant in prayer, the Bible says, rather than sort of, uh, you know, groveling or in our frustration. Be instant, promptly go into, into prayer. It is amazing what will happen to your life and mine if we obey that command, and yes, it is a command for anyone who's been born again by the Spirit of God and is following Jesus. And it's, uh, and, and you, I, I'm not sure if we have that book uh, yet in the books or We need to get it there, <laughs> Peter. Practicing the presence of God. But the, th- this man's life was just so fruitful. It says he, of all, he was just a worker in a kitchen somewhere, and he did four times as much work as anyone else. I mean, this wasn't some ascetic guy living off on a cliff somewhere and just what God will do in our lives and in the life of the church and in the body of Christ we want revival in New England there's never been any revival that came devoid with a, of prayer without prayer preceding it so this year I just challenge all of you, challenge myself, to just resolve to be men and women of God, instant in prayer. And, you know, you have to be instant in prayer about being instant in prayer because there's a war going on in the the spiritual realm uh, that, uh, you know, Satan doesn't want you to get there. But God will bring you there. I'm in a much different place today than I was 16 months ago. And I have a long way to go, but I've come, uh, I've come a ways as well. So encourage you uh, to, in that uh, New Year's resolution. Okay, so we are uh, going to begin a study, which I'm sure we are going to be in for some time in the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews. Okay, r- please rise. And uh, for the reading of God's word, if you need a Bible... Uh, Please raise your hands. Hebrews Chapter One, Verse One. This is the Holy Spirit speaking. Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, including this letter. Verse 1 says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who Being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's pray. Father, your word says that blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his, her delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. She'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit and due season. Whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Lord, we want to be those people. Father, we trudge through the snow this morning because that's the desire of our heart. Pray that you do that work in our heart. Build us up, Lord. We come here to change, Lord, not to just do some religious exercise, Lord, by coming in, singing, sitting down, listening, and leaving, Lord. We've come here to change. And, Father, we thank you for, for your word, which promises that will happen even as we seek you, we will find. Even as we knock, the door will be opened. You'll come in. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. You can be seated. The book of Hebrews. So who wrote this letter? People have been arguing about that for 2,000 years. You know, I have found that when the Holy Spirit is silent about a subject, we should probably be pretty much silent ourselves. Some people think it was Paul, some others Apollos, some others uh, Luke. The bottom line, it doesn't matter. Because whatever the name of the person that was used to write a letter... The fact of the matter is, is that it was God speaking through that person. And so we know this is a message from the Lord to us. The setting, however, was probably 30 or 40 years after Jesus died. It was written to uh, Jews, as we find out from the title, probably in Jerusalem. We know from the letter that it was a time of... Uh, of uh, persecution uh, in the Jewish community, particularly in Jerusalem. If a Jew became a Christian uh, in the early church, it meant certain persecution. In Jerusalem, you would have been thrown out of the temple. You and your family together, it had, that had just awful ramifications uh, in the life of a man or a woman, because people's lives at that time revolved around the temple community. And so most Jews, as many are today, were small businessmen and entrepreneurs, and Apostle Paul, for example, a a tent maker. Uh, And uh, when you were thrown out of the temple, uh, the temple community stopped coming to you, And you would find your business shunned and and your income uh, shriveling up. Now, even today in the Orthodox Jewish community, uh, some Orthodox Jewish communities, if one of uh, the members of their community uh, comes to the Lord, they will have a funeral for them. It will be just as if the person died And this type of thing was happening to the people who received this letter. They were abandoned by their families. Their inheritances were stripped away. Their houses taken away. Uh, Their possessions confiscated. Once you uh, turn with me to Hebrews 10, it gives a glimpse uh, uh, of that. In Hebrews 10, verse 32, it um, it says, But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, meaning they were saved, when they were first saved, you endured a great struggle with suffering, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. So they joyfully, these people, had been plundered. Their possessions had been plundered from them, and they joyfully accepted it. They rejoiced. Why? Because they had been counted worthy. By God, to suffer persecution for Christ's sake, they rejoiced at the privilege of identifying with their Lord in his suffering. In Philippians 3, verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, he says this, the Apostle Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. The fellowship of His suffering? I want to know the fellowship of His suffering? Yes. There's a fellowship with Jesus that you'll never know unless you suffer for identifying with Him. Doesn't mean you have to go look for it. It'll come to you if you're living for the Lord, but there is a fellowship there with your Lord, an intimacy, a joy that will happen, uh, and, and this is what these Jews, these Hebrews had experienced, it, it says they accepted the suffering with joy, but weeks turned into months, and months turned into Years. And the joy began to turn into discouragement. What is up with this, Lord? This is not what I bargained for. Lord Job in the Old Testament, he only had the trials and afflictions for a season and then they went away. This trial I'm in, this affliction, it's not going anywhere. It's still with me. How long, Lord, how long must I be in this place? And, and, and so the purpose of the letter to the Hebrews is to minister to a discouraged people. And let me tell you, whether or not you are in a season of discouragement, This letter will encourage you. It will bless your socks off. You know, other than 2 Corinthians, this is my favorite book of the Bible. And Stephanie, my wife, said, Steve, don't just choose the next book based upon what you want. (laughs) You know. There have been times in my life, as recently as a couple of years ago, in my morning devotion, I would read through this book, I'd finish, start over again, read through it again, finish, start uh, over again, read through it, finish, and just four, three, four, five times. Not because I was in a season of discouragement, but because this letter is just such a blessing. Why wouldn't it be? How could it not be if it was meant to encourage a people who were in this place. And so I I really, we're going to be blessed as we go through this letter. It was written to a discouraged people to minister to them. And it does so in two ways. It ministers to them in two ways. I will uh, first just speak briefly about the first way. It ministers to them. One of the ways it does so, it gives them a warning. And, you know, the Lord will will do this with us. He's faithful to warn us. He's faithful to tell us the truth. In the world, people are really, really scared sometimes just to tell us the truth. God's not like that. And the Lord does this with them in this letter, And, and basically the message is this, look at Hebrews, if you carry this discouragement too far, you're going to be in trouble. You better not hold on to this discouragement that you are in. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says, be careful, watch out lest a root of bitterness springs up among you and it defiles many, including yourself. Brothers and sisters, discouragement is dangerous company to keep. It will lead you to places you don't want to go. Why? Because it will lead to bitterness. I wish I had never given my life to Christ. Look what's happened to me. If I didn't make that decision, I would be prospering now. I would have the friends that I had who loved me so much. I'd be enjoying life. I wouldn't have these, this trouble, this affliction, this persecution, these attacks from the enemy that never go away. My family would love me. My friends would love me. My coworkers. And all I get now is this faith and a lot of loneliness and a lot of discouragement. Look what it's gotten to me. I wish I had never done this. Now what am I supposed to do? Beware, be careful, watch out, Hebrews twelve fifteen. Lest a root of bitterness spring up and defile many. Don't think you are by yourself in your discouragement, as if you're the only one who's ever been there. This whole book is dedicated to a whole people who are there. Discouragement eventually turns into bitterness, and bitterness defiles. Brothers and sisters, this is a word from the Lord to you this morning. Don't let that happen to you. If you're in that season. So the book of Hebrews, this letter, this epistle to the the Jews written to a discouraged people, one of the ways the Holy Spirit ministers to them uh, throughout this letter I, I, he does it in a series of what I would call spirit-led, sanctified, God-directed warnings. You actually see that at the very beginning of chapter 2. It says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels prove steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a, salva- a salvation, discouragement will lead you to do things, to think things, to become a, a man, a woman that you do not want to become, that you or, think, or doing things that you have no business doing. And you will see these kind of um, these kind of warnings peppered out throughout this letter. Sometimes it's more like super wicked hot. Picante sauce, you know. Uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 6 and chapter 10, it's like, whoa! And we'll talk through those. Those chapters have confused a lot of people. They don't have to confuse people. We'll talk through them. God's faithful to warn us, to tell us the truth. You know, it's not always the best thing just to have people patting us on the back. You know, just do your pity party. It's good for you. It feels good. No. It'll take us to a place uh, that really, ultimately, uh, we don't want to be. But listen, supremely, uh, these, sup, uh, these spirit-led warnings are only a, a fraction, a smaller fraction of what this letter is about. Uh, they are dropped in occasionally, sort of like sanctified sound bites, blessed reminders. That's not the thrust of how the Holy Spirit ministers to these people in their discouragement. Supremely, this letter just ministers uh, ministers to them in their discouragement by just laying on the what? The encouragement. By laying on the encouragement. In the most powerful, profound, effective uh, way that can possibly encourage anyone. And that's why it's such a wonderful letter. Now, how does the Lord do that? We need to pay attention to this. This is so important. How does the Lord encourage these people whose discouragement is on the verge of turning into bitterness? By lifting up By making front and center, by exalting, by bursting forth from the page, the name and person, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The words, the living and active words, literally, they just leap from the page in this letter. They shout out. They seem to grow louder and louder with each chapter. The Holy Spirit, with this letter, brings Jesus Christ right into the center stage of their minds, their souls, their lives. God's message is this. Jesus Christ is not your distant memory. Some religious experience of something that happened to you in the past. He's a living, breathing, loving, faithful reality. Now. Wake up. Hebrews. Now. He is the complete, absolute, total answer to every need that you have. There is no other na- answer to your needs. It's him. However great, however desperate, however longing. Jesus is it. That is the message of this letter. Chapter after chapter after chapter, Jesus Christ alone is sufficient. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the law. He's greater than anything the world can offer. Jesus Christ is the one. This letter even more, many say, even than the Gospels, which are about the life of Christ, focuses more, exalts Jesus more, and brings Jesus into the front and center stage more than any other book in the Bible. And that will, can only, only encourage us. Uh, verse 1 says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, who, Jesus, being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he uh, again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But to the Son, to the Son, he says, your throne, O God is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, speaking of Jesus, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You, Jesus, will uh, fold them up and they will be changed. But you, Jesus, are the same. Your years will not fail. And so this is what it's like. Chapter after chapter after chapter. And you can't but go through this. If you're, do, if you're 10% of you is awake, <laughs> When you're reading this, you can't help but go through this and, and just have your socks blessed off and your countenance lifted. Jesus Christ, front and center. The letter ends in Hebrews twelve two saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. The office the, the author and finisher of your faith, fix your eyes on him. So this letter will encourage you so much. We need to drink it in together. Let's start again. Verse 1. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke God who at various times and in various ways spoke Now here it says in various times and in various ways actually the root the root Greek word is the word polis which means many most translations translate that word various as many. The living Bible, God spoke in many different ways to our fathers. Today's English version says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors many times and in many ways. The Anabit says, in the, in the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophet at many times and in various ways. The Revised Standard Version says, in many and various ways God spoke, God spoke, and I don't know how many of you were here uh, for the Christmas sermon, about a third of the our church family is here for our Christmas sermon, because so many are, are away, but uh, one of the uh, things that we talked about and that I shared on this mo- that, uh, that morning as we talked about Jesus Christ breaking into history, literally. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, became flesh and lived among us, John chapter 1. And one of the things I talked about was how are we to respond when we're asked questions like, well, how do you know that the Word of God Is really the Word of God. How do you know that Jesus is His Son? Well, I respond usually something like, well, you know, if there is a God, do you really think that He's just going to create the world and set it on its axis, spin it, and then take off and leave it to everyone's best guess? Who He is. Is that really what he's going to do? I mean, I have five children. If I had, uh, I played a role in bringing them into the world and and I love them so much. I love my kids. Uh, Do you think I'm just going to sort of take off? and leave it to their best guess as to who I am? No, I'm going to, in the most specific way I possibly can, I'm going to pay so much attention and be very diligent to let them or give them opportunities to get to know exactly who I am, and that is what the Lord has done as well. Could God really be a loving God? If he is any other way, he's given us his word, and he's given us his son and here we read again in many t- many times and in various ways, he spoke he 's not silent we don 't worship a god who is silent who leaves it up to our best guess he it 's a pretty long book, and he 's given us. A lot of detail as to who he is. What his character is. What the plan of redemption is. And of course he's given uh, us uh, his son. So it says God. Who at various times and in uh, various ways. Many times and many ways spoke. In times past. To the fathers. Has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. And you know, it's my prayer that you would read that and you would just take a step back and reflect upon that and I hope your spirit just says, wow. He's spoken to us by His Son like a really flesh and blood person. God, His Son. I love the way this letter begins. God who at various times in various ways in times past to the fathers by the prophets says in these last days which can be interpreted as, as recently I don't think that means that, that in this particular case it's referring to the last days to, as, as the second coming of Christ but it says in these last days spoken to us by his Son whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So, again, putting Jesus front and center into the lives of these discouraged people, you remember who your Savior is. Not only is he the heir of all things, what does that mean? It simply means he ha- owns and has authority over everything, he has authority over the wind, the fire. The molecules, the atoms, the protons, the lakes, the oceans, the mountains, the volcanoes, sickness, businesses, kingdoms, men's hearts, animals, creatures, everything. He's been appointed the heir of all things through whom he also made the world. So this is really important. You know, not only did Jesus die on the cross for our sins, and not only did he save us, we cannot forget. He's got authority over all things and he made all things. Everything that you see in this room going out today, everything Jesus Christ made. And he's, again, putting front and center in front of these discouraged people. Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins. So Jesus Christ, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Now, these words are intended by God to be having an effect on these people's lives. You know the Bible says, declares Romans eight twenty nine that you, as well as these Hebrews getting this letter, are pre- predestined to be conformed into the image of God. How does that happen? How are you conformed into the image of God? The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 3.18, just finished this, uh, Paul's letter. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. So how are we transformed into the image of Christ? By beholding him. How do we behold him? We're doing that this morning. We're reading His Word. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. When, it, when the Bible says, fix our eyes on Jesus, it's not like we're supposed to like, uh, 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 again, monks somewhere staring off into... Uh, well, He's out there somewhere. Let's just fix our eyes into this invisible image. No, it's looking into the Word of God word's living and active. It has a life in and of itself. It will change you. It will change you into his image. And that's how the Holy Spirit's trying to encourage these people. That's what the Holy Spirit wants this letter to do uh, with you. As it's saying, look, this Jesus is the express representation, the NIV says, of God. The express image. The Colossians says he's the fullness of God in bodily form. So when we read about him, as we behold him, as we meditate on him, as we fix our eyes uh, on the word of God, who he is, as we observe, as we study the life of of Jesus, we will be transformed uh, into his image. And how I want that to be true in my life. You look through the Gospels. You will be transformed as you're just observing and meditating on and reading about the, the life of Jesus. I think about the long suffering of Jesus. You know, the Bible de, the Bible defines agape love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Agape was a word pretty much unknown to the Greek word, Greek world. So the apostle Paul has to the Holy Spirit has to define it. And the very first definition. Part of the definition is what? The long suffering of God. Love suffers long. I think about the long suffering of Jesus, the beginning of his ministry. They're out in the middle of nowhere. A gigantic multitude has fallen into the middle of nowhere because he's been healing people. He's been teaching and in they're interested. He actually fed them. And so he, he's out in the middle of nowhere. There's 5,000 men there, not including women and children, probably about 10,000 people. Uh, the disciples come to Jesus. You need to send these people away so they can get food. And Jesus says, well, how much, uh, how much food do we have? And it turns out a little boy comes up. I have five loaves, two fish. And he winds up feeding these 10,000 men, women, and children with five loaves and two fish. And then after that, Jesus sends them on their way into the Sea of Galilee. By themselves, he stays behind to pray and a a tremendous storm swirls up. They are scared out of their minds. Jesus walks on water out to them. They think he's a ghost, which only adds to their terror. He comes to them, rebukes the wind. There's complete calm. And it says in Mark, the, the Gospel of Mark, it says the disciples were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure. They marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves Because their hearts were hardened. So they saw this tremendous miracle with 10,000 men, women, and children. And the next thing you know, within hours, they're fearful of their lives. Even knowing that their Lord is Jesus. Even knowing how powerful he is. It says their hearts were hardened. But he suffers long with them. He loves them, doesn't rebuke them. Then, what happens? They get ashore and w- uh, get to shore, and within uh, probably a matter of, of months, there's four thousand men in front of them, not including women and children. Probably another eight or nine thousand people. Disciples go up to Jesus. How are we going to feed all these people? Their hearts are hardened. But he suffers long with them. And this is what you see throughout the whole gospel. His whole uh, three years, he's raising people from the dead. He's giving sight to the blind. He's making the lame walk. He's cleansing lepers. He's, some of them, he's transfigured on a mountain. And you know what happens? The night he was arrested... He, this whole time he's being an example and, and this type of thing, uh, it says on, at the Last Supper, the First Communion, it says, what were they doing? They were arguing about who was the greatest among themselves. And what does Jesus do? Does he say, wait a second, this is really out of line. Have you guys, what, where have you been the last three years? Have you not seen or heard anything I've done? What does he do? If you look at a harmony of the Gospels, he stands up, he takes off his outer garment, he grabs a towel, the Son of God, sinless, pure God, kneels down, and he starts washing their feet. The long-suffering love of God, who is the express image of God, who is the fullness of God. God's had that same love towards you. But The main message this morning here this morning is, is don't you want to love like that? <laughs> don't you want to love people like that? The Bible says if you have asked Jesus into your life, if you have put him on the throne of your life, if you've stepped off the throne of your own life and put him in the throne, you have been predestined to be conformed into that image. That excites me. That is what, love, what, what, rather, what life is all about. It's ex- expressing the love of Christ in our lives, bearing fruit through and by that, by his love. And so the, the letter to the Hebrews written by the Holy Spirit to a discouraged people, and whether we're discouraged or we're in the, on a mountaintop just screaming out praises to God because things are going so well, this book puts Jesus front and center and God wants to use it in your life to change you into the very image of Christ. God, who at many times and in many ways spoken in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, who being the brightness of His glory, the express image of His person, upholding all things by the word of His power, When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That is what the Lord wants to do with our lives. And he, who began a good work in you, promises to complete it. So, the worship team can come up, let's pray. Father, again, your word says that he who delights himself in the Lord, you will give them the the desires of his heart, And and the desire that we want you to put in our lives, Lord, is a delight in your word. Desire to meditate on it day and night, to be like trees planted by rivers of water bringing forth its fruit in in due season, the fruit of love that suffers long, the fruit of love that is kind The fruit of love, Lord, that does not envy, it does not parade itself, it's not puffed up, it doesn't behave rudely, it does not seek its own, it's not provoked, it does not rejoice in iniquity. A love, Lord, that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus. You loved us so much that with, a, with a joy that was set before you. You suffered and you went to the cross for us. you died, you rose again. Give us the grace, Lord, and you promise that you will to fix our eyes on your Son. We want to be like Him. We're just excited, Lord, to become like Him, to be used by and through Him. Lord, I pray that You do that work in every man and woman here today. I also pray for, Lord, the the folks who are not able to make it. Father, I just pray you do that work. Same work in their heart, Lord. We thank you for your grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please rise. We are going to close in worship. Psalm 36, verse 5 says, Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches to the skies.